Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you probably know that you also have a music service available to you. Amazon Music comes free with uh, Amazon Prime, or at least you get it for free when you give them $100 a year or whatever it is now. But anyway, last week, Amazon announced that they were going to get into the quote-unquote high-def music business, and they were going to start having plans available for their Amazon Music program whereby you could get high-def audio files rather than the run-of-the-mill stuff I guess they have now. Now, Amazon Music is a pretty good service. I know people that use it, and they're not particularly interested in, you know, delving into the history of, of bands and things like that. They just want to hear the music that they like, and it's free, and so there it is. So we were wondering who the heck is going to be interested in, again, in quotes, high-def music from Amazon Music when there are already services that that cater to, to that market. In fact, why are they muscling in on this tiny niche market? That's the thing. So to help us talk about this, we're really happy to have with us once again Chris Conacher, who is from Audiophile Style and its uh, sister website, Superphonica. Chris, always great to have you on the show. Talk about cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for thinking of me when uh, this announcement came out. This is really interesting because Amazon does have a free tier, but they also have a paid tier for normal MP3 streaming like Spotify, Apple Music, etc. But they're calling this, again, Amazon Music HD high definition. They're calling the lossless audio high definition, which to me is kind of stretching the semantics there. And then the ultra HD is up to 24 bits and 192 kilohertz. So anything that we would call high resolution. So... I thought that in the audio industry, they had already adopted the term high definition for what we're calling high resolution. So already there's confusion, isn't there? Oh, yes. There is so much confusion with what's going on here. So if you, I think if you look carefully, Amazon will never use the terms high and definition together. It's always just HD? No, no. I'm looking at – I have a screenshot on my website. When this was announced, I wrote an article talking about all the lies in Amazon's presentation. And it says high definition, parenthesis, HD. And then for the high resolution, they say ultra HD. But under high definition HD, it's lossless audio. Yes. Okay. Because a few of my readers were talking about that going, they don't say it's high definition. They're just using HD. But okay. Nonetheless, yes, this is very confusing to everybody. Because in audio, it's always high resolution. In video, it's always high definition. And uh, the audio world's done something very unique. They've down-resed the quality so they can up-res it later, (laughs) you know, for lack of a better term. (laughs) We have lossless CD. Now we're going to sell you MP3. But in the future, we're going to go back to CD and sell you it as something better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's true, because when, when you think about it, you know, when, when the questions of piracy were coming around in early music streaming, it was kind of obvious that you could buy lossless audio pretty much anywhere back when there were CD stores just by buying a CD, and there was no DRM on it. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, we down-resed, and now we're back to up-resing again to make something that's perceived to be better, but that's just the same as what we had before, 
And that's confusing. But <laughs> what's old is new again. What's old is new, yeah. And so for the high definition, they're saying 50 million plus songs. And so this is pretty much the same selection of masters that you get on Spotify and Apple Music. Now, wait a minute. Now, what is high definition? What are they calling high definition lossless. again? High definition 16 is lossless. 16-bit, 44.1. Okay. Right. And ultra HD, so high quality lossless audio, they say millions of songs. And that, of course, is vague. They're not going to count them. That's to me, suggests 2 million or more which is 4% of the total catalog, which seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the labels have been getting their stuff in high or ultra HD, you know, for the last 10 years. So they've had a good good head start on it. And ultra HD, I mean, even if you go back before 10 years, the labels were doing it because ultra HD to Amazon is anything 24-bit. Right. So 2444 is how a lot of pop recordings are done. So, okay, there you go. There's your million pretty easily, you know, but it was never released until recently at 2444. Yeah, and when record labels submit masters to the streaming services, they submit 2496 masters. So at a minimum, everything, as you say, in the last 10 years, let's say the last five or six years, is probably 2496. In fact, when Apple introduced their iTunes Plus no, what was it called? The Mastered for iTunes program. Mastered for iTunes, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they had to be submitted in 2496. That's 24-bit and 96 kilohertz. So Apple does have a great deal of content like that, and so do all the others. So again, I want to link to my article where I headline Amazon launches Amazon Music HD and lies a lot because they're just tricking people. The first thing I noticed, and Chris, I think you saw this as well, is that they present this graphic showing the three different types of audio. Standard definition SD, this is the MP3 up to 320 kilobits. High definition HD, and then ultra HD. What a coincidence. This is the same graph that Kobuz has been using for years with those stair-step things, trying to make it look like it sounds better because there's more samples. And it, it's just a, a ripoff of it. And when I saw that, I posted on your forum in a thread that had started a couple hours earlier, this makes me think that they might have bought Cobas. And someone replied, absolutely not. And it must be someone who knows the company. Yes, there are representatives from Cobas on the forum quite a bit, um, yeah. which we should talk about later. It will be a totally different experience when you have questions about a streaming service. I don't think Amazon really is going to care or respond to anybody with a question. No. Why would Amazon want to offer this tier when, like I said, it's it's a niche market at best. Quite frankly, who, who, what audiophile would, would admit to downloading audio from Amazon? I mean, there's, <laughs> where is the Venn diagram? The, 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 the Venn diagram is very slim in the middle there from people who like that stuff and from people who may not be familiar with it. I just don't think that there's any kind of market there. And that's why I think it's odd. It, it seems like getting your high-res audio from Walmart. Yes, yes, exactly. This is exactly how I've termed it as well. This is like Walmart when you have people like, or companies like Cobuzz. It's a really luxury experience. Their customer service is generally very good. It's just this high touch. What do you need? We'll get it for you. Versus Walmart, here's everything we have. You know, search for a hard drive on Amazon and you get 20,000. Search for a song, you get 20,000. You know, it's, yes, it's very different. And in audio files, traditionally not very price sensitive. So I don't see the $12.99 a month versus $19.99 a month or whatever being that much of a big deal. And if you're not an audio file, perhaps they're looking to squeeze an extra three bucks a month out of people who will just go, I want the best. I don't care what it is. So let's do it. 
Well, that's what I wonder. Now, Amazon never gives any sales figures. We don't know how many Kindles have ever been sold, and we'll never know how many people subscribe to this. But are people going to just go to Amazon and sign up for this because it sounds better? I'm on Amazon UK, which is one of the four countries that offers this service at launch, and I'm on the main page. I don't see anything about it. Uh, and I remember when that you first posted this in your forum, people were saying, well, I can't find it. And you had to post links for people to actually find information about it. It's They're not even trying to sell it. No, they are totally not. But perhaps that's smart because there have been some strange hiccups and there's just some weirdness to it, you know, and they don't have that many partners. And if you think about it, okay, how do you play... Amazon Music HD now. If you want to play something that's actually HD, it is not easy. Well, you just say, Alexa, play this in your Amazon Echo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me let me take that back. How do you play Amazon Music HD in its native rate at 2496 or 24192? is not easy. And I will say 99.9% .9 of the people who try it are not doing it. They think they're doing it, but they're not. For example... On my phone, I connect a AudioQuest Dragonfly Cobalt, open up the Amazon Music app, hit play. No matter what I play, it's resampled to 2496. So, you know, okay, I guess if you play 2496, you're getting it natively, but anything else is being resampled. It's, I mean, that's just what you get from Amazon, the behemoth, who doesn't go into this like Cobas you know, where every customer matters, thinking we're going to play bit perfect no matter what. Do you think someone twisted their arm, for instance? Wasn't it you, Kirk, that found some quote from Neil Young? Well, there's a quote from Neil Young in their press release, which makes me suggest that Neil Young got together with Jeff Bezos one weekend and convinced him <laughs> and had that— a few. And had a few and convinced him, you know, they had a few— spliffs and they decided that they were going to do this. He's got some ponos probably in his garage he wouldn't <laughs> mind unloading too. And and this is interesting because Chris just recently reviewed Neil Young's book talking about high resolution audio on the website. We'll link to it in the show notes. So Chris, what do you think about Neil Young's involvement here? I for my first thought was this quote came after the announcement. I never I never saw anything like this in the book and I've never seen anything like it before. So you know, either it's after or sure, maybe they got together and said, when we launch, we're going to have this quote. I don't know. Okay. So I, I went to the link in my article to Amazon.com for Amazon Music HD, and I followed the learn more about devices that support HD audio. And so it goes partway down the page where there's an anchor, which Amazon devices support Amazon Music HD? Alexa-enabled Echo devices, second generation and later, Fire TVs and Fire tablets all support HD-quality audio. <laughs> They're telling people that their Amazon Echo can play HD-quality audio. It can play the audio, but yeah. there ain't no HD in an Echo, which <laughs> is a cheap speaker with mono and with no frequency range. And and this is disingenuous at best, yes. that they are pretending that you can actually get that audio here. And if you look at, like... Engineering-wise, what would HD mean to most people? Okay, above 20 kilohertz? <laughs> you think those echoes can actually play above 20 kilohertz? <laughs> ah, well, if I go down further in the FAQ, which headphone speakers support Amazon Music HD? Headphones and speakers with a frequency response of 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz are recommended to best appreciate HD playback. Ah, that's kind of nice. So, well, that's kind of nice. So you don't even need better speakers 
and magical bat's ears to hear the extra audio that comes in the high resolution files. That's pretty. It's it's extra audio, right? It's extra right? audio. It's extra. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, did you look at the preferred partners and brands? Or? It's quite a list. Yes. Yeah, so they have a list of brands, and it's Xfinity, Roku, Samsung, Bose, Sonos. Polk Omni Hios, Definitive Technology, and PlayFi. I haven't heard of half of them, and I know you've heard of all of them. So the Amazon Music app is available on select Samsung smart TVs. I'm sure that that has a killer DAC inside to convert that Ultra HD audio into, you know, music. And the speakers inside those flat panel TVs. Yes. Oh, they, killer. They are a killer. Yes. So the HD and Ultra HD preferred brands, most of those... Okay, maybe not most. Several of those have integrated the technology from DTS PlayFi. That's why they get it. So it's not like they worked out stuff with each of these brands. So if I look at Macintosh, Sonos Faber, Klipsch, um, Paradigm. Sennheiser, Arcan. Those all use DTS PlayFi technology. So DTS PlayFi's got it. All of them have it. Okay. And then you look at Blue Sound, which is custom uh, designed by the Lenbrook Group, their Blue OS, which is great. They have it. Um, and then the Denon Heos companies have it. Everybody owned by Denos. Everybody owned by Denon. So it's really not that many people. So if you want to play it, this is the way to play it. But eh, not that many people have this stuff. Right. So an Amazon Echo is probably not the best way to listen to this music or appreciate <laughs> it. No. or And neither is your desktop. No. And unless it's connected to a stereo, a DAC, et cetera, et cetera. Even then, everybody connected to Windows has to go through the Windows sound mixer. Okay. There's no exclusive mode. There's nothing like that. Ah. So, you know, good luck there. And on Mac, it's the old iTunes issue of sample rate changing. It can't do it. So whatever your audio MIDI setting is at, that's the sample rate it's going to play at. Well, you set it to upsample to the highest sample rate. You could, yes, if you want to upsample and use the built-in upsampler in Mac OS, sure. But audiophiles don't like Absolutely the built-in upsampler in <laughs> Mac OS. <laughs> exactly. So it's just... I have a couple Blue OS devices here from Blue Sound, and it's all integrated. And I can output digital to any DAC I want, and that's going to stream 24192 bit perfect. To me, that's the absolute only way to do this. So, okay, so I've never heard of Blue OS, and maybe we'll come back to this in a future episode because it sounds like it's sort of an integrated one stop shop for getting the audio in and out, which is probably what people really need for this sort of thing. Yeah. Blue OS is really, really cool. Lenbrook designed it themselves. They own NAD and a whole bunch of other brands, PSB, and it's really thorough. They have some really good engineers. Another question in the FAQ, which I find interesting. And so, so here is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. I've got a new iPhone 11 amateur because it's not the pro model. <laughs> and it's got 64 gigs of storage, right? And so the OS is 10 gigs and apps and stuff. So it's got 20 gigs. I've got plenty of room. How much space will Amazon Music HD files take up when downloaded to my device? Well, if it's SD, lossy, MP3s, nine megabytes for three and a half minute song. They're using three and a half minute song as an example. Lossless, 51 megabytes. Ultra HD lossless max 192 kilohertz, 153 megabytes. And I'm thinking... Well, it's not going to be very good on a mobile device. Even if I have 256 gigabytes, not going to get a lot of music. And so this begs the question again, you know, who's going to be using this? I guess if you're using it on the desktop on a computer, you don't care about the, the, the size. But I think we can all agree that using that listening to high resolution audio on a mobile device in an environment where you're hearing outside noises isn't really useful. And 
You know what this makes me think? It makes me think that they're giving access to this really powerful thing to a bunch of people who don't know how to use it and who just are going to think that they're getting something better and they're not even going to know what they're getting. Absolutely 100% yeah. true. It's too bad. It's 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 unfortunate. Yes. I don't know why. See, I keep coming back to why are they doing this? It doesn't give them any more cred. I mean, if anything, well, we're drawing comparisons to Walmart. I don't think that they would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, I think it just cheapens the service. And they say you can play it through an Amazon Echo, which frankly is just a sad thing to say. Yeah. My, my, my thought was, are they using this to leverage someone, some company, some record label to get an exclusive with someone to be able to do something? Neil Young's catalog, for example. I, I don't think that's a big seller today, but is this, because for them, it's essentially flipping a switch. They've got all these masters and they can just, you know, program a few lines of code and get this stuff coming out in the three different um, qualities. But again, why? Who is this for? It's not for Amazon users. It's it's not upfront on the site. It's are they trying to convince someone of something that they're trying to? You know, Apple with Apple TV Plus is putting a lot of money into TV programming, and Amazon's already put money in TV program like Netflix. Is are they trying to do the same thing in music? to maybe head off a potential Apple project of turning Apple Music into a lossless streaming service instead of a an AAC streaming service. Yeah, there's a lot of unknowns. And I think it's, okay, do you know how many subscribers Amazon has to their general music service? No, but they won't say, will they? I, I don't know. So yeah, no, they've never you, said. Uh, I mean, we know that Apple's up around fifty million. Spotify was at one hundred and twenty, but they're not all paid subscribers. Yeah, so it gets murky because I think they include everyone who's got Prime as mm. a, a music subscriber, as having access to, it. which then is more than one hundred million people in the U.S. Yes. Yeah, and now there's the HD. So if you get a tiny percentage of those people to go, oh, I'll take the HD for a couple more bucks, whatever. That's a lot of million dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and I guess uh, they're not paying for Amazon S3 storage very much. So, yeah. <laughs> whoopee. I, I I don't know. It just it doesn't make that much sense for them to do it. My my only thought about this is that it's actually detrimental to the audiophile community, in the sense that it kind of bastardizes audiophile quality music and sends it into Walmart. Whereas, you know, there is, there's quite a wall between audiophiles and everyone else. And you like that wall and it's understandable. It's, it's the same wall of people who buy $20,000 bicycles and do their weekend racing. You know, it's the same of any kind of mm -hmm. high-end gear. Mm -hmm. um, but this sort of cheapens the whole thing. If Amazon can sell it, then it's not a big deal, right? There is definitely something to that. It does feel weird. Like, oh, is it not ours anymore? Or... Is it is it cheaper, yeah. you know, that it's at Amazon, the Walmart of online? I don't know. But, yeah, there's something to that. So I I was working on a video. I recorded it, and I just I – don't, I don't think I'm going to publish it. But one thing I did in it was compare the streaming services for people who care about sound. And, you know, I thought, okay, there's Apple Music, there's Spotify, there's Deezer, there's Tidal, there's Cobas and Amazon – and I threw out the ones that don't have lossless just to start with. So Spotify, Apple Music, I put those ones out. Then I look at Deezer and go, okay, they, they offer up to CD quality. 
but they're nowhere. It's just like they're not integrated with many people, and they don't offer anything that the other services don't. So that brings me to Tidal, Cobuzz, and Amazon HD. And I throw out Tidal because anything over CD quality with them uses MQA, proprietary, lossy format that nobody should want. So then I'm down to Amazon Music HD and Cobuzz. And to me, I think Cobuzz is just much better. And sure, it costs a little bit more, but, you know, it's the boutique experience versus the Walmart experience. But ultimately now you've whittled it down to there's only two competitors in this market, which I think is very interesting because maybe there are wannabe audiophiles who are going, well, what, how, how, how bad can it sound? It can't, it's not, I mean, if they have the means of, of playing it back, it's certainly cheaper than Cobuzz. I mean, by what, four or five bucks or something like that? Um, so, but when you put it in terms like that, where there's actually only two players at this level, that makes it a little more interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think about it that way, but you're totally right. It's, it is interesting when there's only two players that are offering pure PCM up to 192 kilohertz downloads. That's it. Right. So Tidal has MQA, which we talked about some months ago last year. I'll try and find a link to the episode to put in the show notes, which, as you say, it's a proprietary format. And the, the thing about MQA, when it was first announced, this goes back a number of years, one of the reasons for the compression was that it was going to save data. But that's sort of a moot point now, isn't it? <laughs> yes. MQA, one of their things was, oh, high resolution does not scale. Well, I think it just scaled as big as possible. I mean, yeah. Amazon just did it. So yeah. it's as big as it could possibly get. So the big question is Spotify and Apple. Are they going to go at least to lossless, if not high resolution? Apple recently rebranded the Mastered for iTunes into iTunes Masters. So one of the reasons they did this is you probably noticed that purchases from the iTunes store could be listed as mastered for iTunes, but nothing was listed like that in Apple Music. Even though you were getting the same files, they just didn't put the little badge on it. So one of the reasons they changed this branding is so that they can show them in Apple Music that you're getting the same quality files for those files that are mastered for iTunes. I like that. Yeah, I, I think I think it's... I, at first I thought, oh, this is a gimmick, but I actually like that. It's more information for the consumer. Exactly. It's mm. cool. And, and it's showing that the record labels and producers have taken a little bit more time preparing the files for the conversion to AAC mm -hmm. um, rather than just sending files. Yeah. But with that in mind, it doesn't seem like Apple really wants to go lossless because they're saying, well, this stuff is just as good. I'm thinking Spotify is going to do it at some point. They have to because – see, this is one of those things that – None of these brands think they're actually going to make that much more money off of it, but they just have to because there's this kind of atmosphere of there are a couple of small brands doing it. Now Amazon, now everyone's got to do it to catch up, even if they're not going to get the target audience. Most people won't care and most people won't hear it anyway because they won't have the right equipment. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, speaking of Apple, in Neil Young's book, he talks about a short conversation with Steve Jobs, and I think it kind of totally makes sense why Apple doesn't have at least lossless. And, you know, it says, speaking of Steve Jobs, he had one standard for himself and another one for his customers. He said, we're a consumer company. So I think that pretty much says it all. Well, Apple's such a big company. To, to me, the lossless is you have a problem of data, you have the problem of storage, and they don't want people who don't need it having to face up to the fact that their phones are full because they've downloaded a lot of music, because their data plan's being used because they've downloaded a lot of music. 
if they did come out with something like this, the thing about Apple is Apple Music Plus, for example, which would be lossless, they would be trying to sell it to everyone knowing that it's not for everyone. It could create more problems than it's worth and support issues. And given the scale of Apple overall and the fact that they're more a hardware company, well, they're shifting to a services company, it probably doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense for them to do it. I agree. Does anyone know the sample rate that the new iPhones are capable of playing back internally? I believe Hmm. it can go up to 96, right? Don't know, and I don't know where to find that. I mean, when you look at some of the specs, you see, okay, supports Flack. (laughs) Okay, the phone, yeah, sure, it supports Flack using a different app using all these weird things. So it's, I'm always curious to see what the phone actually supports. Yeah, so I can't find anything here. There might be stuff in the developer information, and we'll have a look after the show, and we'll put a note in the show notes if we find it. It supports FLAC, but only in the sense that you can take a FLAC file from your Dropbox folder and play it back. You can't play, well, maybe there are apps that can do it, but there have always been apps that could play FLAC on iOS using their own internal library to play the FLAC back. The only difference here is it's supported natively, so maybe it saves battery if a third-party app is doing it. But even if they went to lossless, they wouldn't use FLAC, they'd use Apple lossless. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So, and and Apple lossless, you know, to them, it's it's a protocol that they understand and use and created and you know, for all this reason, even though it is now open source and a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. There's no reason for them to want to use Flack. Okay. Well, this has just been a sort of a confirmation of what Doug and I were talking about last week when we were discussing it. And, you know, I'm not surprised that you said what you did and the, the way you think about this. I, I'm sure you were extremely surprised when you saw this, as was I last week. Who would expect Amazon to do this, you know? Yeah. There was the rumblings, you know, the word on the street forever. But I mean, how many years ago was it that that was the same thing for Spotify when a couple of people saw the screenshots of a lossless tier? It, you know, sure. I, I just I didn't think that they would do it. Well, the company that became Tidal, what were they called? The original Norwegian company? Wimp. Wimp, yeah. Or Vimp. Vimp. Uh, not, not a very good name, Wimp. But they, they were doing lossless streaming back then, normal flack lossless, right? Yes. In fact, I remember before they were bought out and became Tidal, there were a lot of people on your forum using them for classical music. So they were kind of like Cobas in, in many ways. But then they drank the MQA Kool-Aid. <laughs> they did. Yes, yes. Okay. Unfortunately, but... Okay. Well, this is exciting times in the audio industry. If, if you know, the mom and pop shop can do lossless audio and high-res audio, <laughs> you know, pretty much everyone's going to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, Chris, thanks for joining us and shedding some light on these interesting developments. Links in the show notes to Chris's websites, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a blast. Do you have an extract there, young man? It's funny you ask, because I've actually been listening to something, not on repeat, but over and over a number of times in the past week. I've been reading a biography of Franz Schubert. I've often mentioned my love for Franz Schubert. And whenever I read a biography of a musician, I like to listen to their music, right? Makes sense. What I've been listening to this week is Franz Schubert's two piano trios, D898 and D929, otherwise known as Opus 99 and Opus 100. These were written near the end of his life. As he was a syphilitic mess, Schubert's life was not without pain at the end of his life. But these piano trios are extraordinary works. I'm going to link to an album by Andreas Steyer, Daniel Sepek, and Roald Diltins on Harmonia Mundi. The two piano trios plus a short 10-minute work, a nocturne in E-flat major, 
cover one hour and 37 minutes. It's interesting because this is a digital album that you couldn't buy as a single album on CD. It would probably be on two discs on CD. In fact, I haven't looked on Amazon yet, but it probably is. The second piano trio is extremely well-known. It's about 50 minutes long. It's a symphonic work. And a piano trio is piano, cello, and violin. And the second movement of this was used, I believe, as the sound part of the soundtrack for Barry Lyndon. So it's got this thing that goes da 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 da. I hope you like my singing voice there. I, I'm I'm very familiar with uh, with Barry Lyndon, but that theme does not uh, ring a bell. Yep, Barry Lyndon Trio Opus 100. So there's a lot of music yeah. in Barry Lyndon. Yes, there is. But these two works are extraordinary. They are expansive. They're like 40, 50 minutes each. They're symphonies. They're just amazing works, and yet they're so small. It's just piano, cello, and violin. And what he manages to do with those three instruments in movements that are as long as 14, 16 minutes in some of them is really astounding. So I'll link to this. Lots of recordings of this, obviously, tons of them. But this is the one that I stumbled on on Apple Music after trying a few different ones. And actually, the reason I like it so much is because Andrea Steyer plays a fort piano from the early 19th century rather than a modern piano, and I always like that sound. Doug, what about you? Well, <clears throat> I stumbled on something recently. I've been stumbling on a lot of stuff lately and picking it up and showing it to people and saying, hey, smell this. And uh, that's kind of how I, I feel about this pick. It's, it came out in 1996. It is a, a, an album by various artists called To Cry You a Song, a collection of tall tales. It's, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a cover album of a bunch of Jethro Tull songs. But the interesting thing about it is that some of the original members of Jethro Tull are on it, like Glenn Cornick and Clive Bunker and uh, Mick Abrams. Those are the guys that were the original Jethro Tull, and they're more blues-oriented. There are a couple of blues songs on here. In fact, there are a lot of great guest stars on here. John Wetton is on it. The, the blues song is performed by Charlie Musselwhite and Derek Trucks, who you may know as a member of the Allman Brothers Band and, of course, the Derek Trucks Band. Keith Emerson is on it. Keith Emerson does a, a lounge lizard version of uh, Living in the Past. It's the most peculiar collection of music I've heard in a long time. Now, a lot of the songs on here I like. I mean, Locomotive Breath, uh, New Day Yesterday, Living in the Past, Minstrel and Gallery. Those are all great songs, and I, I really was curious as to how they would be covered by these people. And I, I don't I really don't know what to say other than I can't wait to listen to it again to hear how bad it's it is. Because it's not great. There are some great things in it, but there aren't it's not a complete thing. It's just bizarre. So I, I, I'm dying to listen to it again. Uh just to find out what the heck are these people thinking about. I'm surprised I missed it when it came out, but in 1996, I was heavily involved in alternative music. And if something like this came out, it would have gone right over my head at the time. Um, but uh, I can't wait to listen to it again. <laughs> it seems like it's on a really small label, so you might never have discovered it anyway. Right. It's on, it's on the Magna Carta label, which is, of course, Latin for high charting. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't, it's also available in, in Russian and uh, French, uh, Spanish uh, labels as well. So it, it got around in the 90s. But Well, I was a, a, a huge Death Row Tell fan back in the day. And 
I probably would have bought this back then. And I'm and I'm looking at some of the arrangements. I'm on Discogs. I'll link in the show notes. Some of the instruments that are played on the various pieces, and they look a bit strange. They're not all just guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards. I'll have to listen to it to find out. But you know, Derek yeah. trucks on slide guitar and Cat Squirrel. Well, the cat the version of Cat Squirrel is is a fish out of water. I mean, it's a it's a blues song. It's you know, it's from their first album. Cream also did a version of it. You know, it's a fairly well-known song. Why it's on a tribute to Jethro Tull, I'm not really sure, because it's not really their song to begin with. But it's interesting to hear Charlie Musselwood. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Charlie Musselwood. Okay. Well, you come up with some odd picks, and that's a particularly odd one. Yeah. But this, you know, there are a bunch of tribute albums like this of bands doing covers, and it, it's, we should do an episode on that one day. How about it? If I have to listen to that many albums of this quality, I don't think so. This was episode number 159 of The Next Track. Thank you very much for listening. Your comments are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. All you got to do, visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, well, there are other methods for communicating with your fellow human beings. I'll leave it to you. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.